Welcome to Socialist Sound, a production of Seattle DSA. I'm your host, Ty Moore. In this post-election episode, we'll dig into the big ballot initiative victories for DSA chapters, both in Tacoma and up in Whatcom County. Despite the efforts of the Tacoma mayor, the city council, and a record-breaking deluge of corporate cash against us, Tacoma voters narrowly passed Initiative 1, enacting the strongest tenant protections in Washington state. And by a large margin, Bellingham voters passed two strong initiatives on November 7th, one to raise the minimum wage and a second to provide tenants relocation assistance when excessive rent hikes force tenants to move. We'll start with Tacoma. Back on the show are the same four guests we had on for episode five. They are all leaders in Tacoma DSA, as well as Tacoma for All, the coalition that led Initiative One to victory. Devin Rydell-Kelly heads up coalition building work in Tacoma for All and is part of Tacoma DSA's steering committee. Michael Whalen is a DSA member and vice president of the United Food and Commercial Workers Local 367, representing 8,000 grocery workers across the South Puget Sound. Ann Dorn is co-chair of Tacoma DSA and communications co-director for Tacoma for All. And Zev Cook is a field organizer for Tacoma for All and is also part of Tacoma DSA's steering committee. I've been in the trenches with all four of these amazing leaders and comrades for the last couple years, both as Tacoma DSA's uh, campaign coordinator and for the last year as Tacoma for All's campaign manager. And I think the conversation really reflects the camaraderie we've all built for each other uh, coming out of this really hard-fought victory. Today's discussion also builds on the previous podcast episode we recorded in September, where we explored the successes of Tacoma for All's work up to that point. If you find today's shows interesting and want more background, I'd encourage listeners to go back and listen to episode five. Anne, Zev, Michael, Devin, I want to welcome you back on the show, this time to celebrate and debrief our stunning victory for Initiative One, the Tenant Bill of Rights. At our election night party, we celebrated a solid win for DSA-endorsed city council candidate Jamika Scott, but Initiative One was nearly 600 votes behind on Tuesday. We all felt pretty confident that late returning votes would swing our way and put us over the top, but it was definitely a nail-biter. Now, just a couple hours before this recording, the Pierce County Elections Office released the count for the almost final batch of ballots. Zev, I'm going to let you do the honor of reporting our final win number and giving your initial reaction. With uh, just a couple insignificant amount of ballots to count, we're winning with uh, 331 votes. Uh, In terms of my initial reaction, I was hoping um, that we would have won by more, uh, but you know, a win's a win. I think I, and I think there was kind of a, the general hope that because this was such a contentious issue on the ballot and in the community, uh, you know, leading up to the vote that that would drive, um, possibly slightly higher voter turnout. Instead we had, you know, one of the worst um, you know, voter turnout years and in, in a while here in Tacoma. Statewide. Right? Yes, yeah, statewide, yeah. Um, so there's been some, you know, general trends that that we, you know, didn't overcome here. But I think what this shows is that we went up against the most money ever spent on a Tacoma election 
we went up against, you know, having the entire city council against us. And even on a thin margin, we still won. That's right. Uh, Michael, what's your reaction on the latest vote total? You know, just echoing as well uh, what's been said, just definitely excited and happy for what um, our coalition has been able to do with this victory, even if it's narrow and we did have low ter voter turnout. Um, you know, this is my first political uh, campaign really I've worked on and helped with. Um, so just definitely was a nail biter, but very grateful and looking forward um, to what um, our coalition can do and build here in the grid city of Tacoma. And um, yeah, overall, just very thankful and happy for what we're doing for working families here in Tacoma. And? Well, I'm thrilled. I'm, I'm absolutely, absolutely thrilled for this victory. I think that this means great things are ahead. Like Michael just said, you know, what can we do next, right? And that's, I think, going through everybody's minds right now. This is a victory for socialism. It's a victory for DSA. And uh, it lays the groundwork, I think, for some exciting work to come in terms of coalition work and um, the community that we've built around Initiative One. And Devin, tell me your initial thoughts. I am overjoyed by the victory and so excited about the coalition we built and working class and tenants and their allies really flexing their power in Tacoma. The other day, someone asked me if I would have preferred it to be a route and we would have won overwhelmingly, or if it's more exciting to squeak by. I'm not sure exactly how I feel about it, but I do think that squeaking by when we know that the landlord lobby spent three times what we spent and dropped $25,000 in on the last couple of days, uh, and knowing that it was a low turnout election and that we drove that turnout. We drove that turnout for ourselves, we drove that turnout for other folks that won, and we worked in coalition with other folks at one. And so I think it's really exciting and really amazing. And I'm uh, inspired for next steps. Well, let's begin this discussion by uh, zooming out uh, to give our listeners a sense of the political significance of these two victories, both Initiative One and Jamaica's seat on city council. To begin with, Initiative One, Against the odds, Tacoma tenants just won the strongest tenant protections in Washington state. Our grassroots movement overcame an intense disinformation campaign from a deep-pocketed opposition that, as others have pointed out, shattered all spending records for Tacoma citywide elections. We overcame the city council's attempt to put a competing measure on the ballot, and the broad labor community coalition that we built behind the Tenant Bill of Rights obviously was absolutely pivotal to this success, but I think it's appropriate to center the role of Tacoma DSA in initiating and largely leading this campaign, both politically and organizationally, and seeing it through to victory. Devin, just to begin with you, between the four of us here, you've been active in Tacoma DSA the longest. Uh, you said joining back in 2017, and now you're serving on your fourth term on the steering committee. So to you, what does the, the victory of Initiative One mean for Tacoma DSA, and what does it mean for the future of socialist politics in Tacoma? Yeah, thank you so much. Um, I like to think of things in terms of kind of the radical imagination and how we can conceive of creating or building a different world. And when we have wins, especially wins like this, we kind of extend that horizon out further for folks. Um, it's always good to be in struggle. It's always good to be trying to transform society along our socialist program, around the ideas we believe in, around an analysis. But we lose a lot. And when we win, and when we win big for the working class and for tenants, we can push the horizon of, of what folks, 
folks think is possible next, right? And we've been driving this analysis for a long time. We've had a platform for a long time that this is just a small but important part of. And we know that we'll win material benefits for working folks in Tacoma immediately when this goes into effect in just a couple weeks. For DSA, I think this suggests both that we have an analysis of power, an analysis of how we run campaigns, analysis of how we bring uh, working class folks together and build coalition. And this demonstrates that this analysis is effective and right. And it's been really exciting to see folks piece these things together over the last year as part of the campaign, as part of the struggle. Uh, and our membership has grown a bunch and people have grown really excited about what we're doing. And I think there's a, a sense of belief in what we can do in Tacoma around housing justice in general, around working class power and politics more broadly, that has not been felt here for a long time. And, you know, it would be it would be wrong to say it was entirely driven by us, but we initiated a lot of it. And we're at the center of a, a vast amount of really awesome work by a lot of folks. I'm really excited about what we're able to do next in coalition and in building DSA and transforming away from capitalism and uh, demonstrating the ability to win for the working class and to come and beyond. Yeah, I think to me what really stood out is both we had a very high profile for DSA, we didn't hide our politics, we didn't hide our role in the campaign, and we were able to do that in a way that brought together most of the labor movement, community organizations, faith organizations, a, a truly broad and, and highly invested coalition. And, you know, it's been rare that I've been in my 25 years part of anything that sort of achieved both those things um, in the same movement. Well, I'm aiming to do a full interview with Jamika Scott for an upcoming episode of this podcast. But obviously, her victory is also a very significant thing for DSA and for working people generally here in Tacoma. How do you think having Jamika Scott on Tacoma City Council will change the dynamic for social movement work here in the years ahead? Yeah, so Jamika is a committed activist, organizer, person born and raised in Tacoma who's deeply passionate about what she believes in and has deep relationships with the community. And I think the fact that she comes out of a lot of work of struggle and a lot of work of organizing and being uncompromising or organizing for a long time gives folks hope and faith in their ability to transform politics and their ability to have leverage in city council. I think for many years, there's been this sense in Tacoma that we have a do-nothing city council. Some folks blame it on our charter. Some folks blame it on people's culture or political history, uh, regardless of where it comes from, it's been to a lot, to a large extent ineffective for really transforming things for working people. And I fully believe in Jamika's ability to organize and do work on council in connection with the social movements that she comes out of. And I think that she'll do it best when folks show up for her, right? When she's advancing her program and advancing what she believes in, when the organizations that back her and that she comes out of um, show up and hold other council members accountable and work in collaboration with her to really drive transformative change. And I think it also opens up the space for other folks to run uh, for charter reform, uh, for electing more socialist comrades and elected uh, uh, allies to, to council and beyond. And I think it's how we really begin the long run work of transforming Tacoma. And I, I want to add that Jamika came up against a whole lot of shit uh, in her run. You know, the, the establishment aligned around someone else early on in the primary. Uh, I think they acted way too quickly. And I think that she uh, effectively outorganized them and brought together a broad coalition of, of labor and more left uh, organizations. 
And uh, even in the last few months that a lot of folks in the in the more entrenched political establishment kind of tried to do a runaround on her and she still won. And I think that's crucial, especially in light of what's to come. Uh, I don't want to ramble, but I think that we're about to face a big fight from landlords and we're about to fight, face a big fight from landlords, allies and council. And having her there uh, when we won this um, will help us advance the agenda of initiative one. It'll help make sure that we get it enforced. It'll help push back on the landlord fight and lawsuits and really open the door for a lot more bold action around housing and more. Awesome. Well, turning to you, Michael, with the exception of DSA, no other coalition partner played as big a role in the fight to win Initiative One as United Food and Commercial Workers Local 367. Michael, as a DSA activist, you were part of this campaign from day one, but I think your most important role was to help bring your union and then the whole of the local labor movement behind the Tenant Bill of Rights. UFCW 367 was also the first union to back Jamaica and played an important role in her victory. And you're the largest union here in the Pierce County Central Labor Council. But until right recently, you all were not seen as major players in local politics. What do you think Jamaica's win and the victory for Initiative One mean for UFCW 367's political role in Tacoma going forward? Uh, thank you, Ty. You know, I just want to start that, you know, Local 367, we are so very proud and excited for the future and that Jamaica Scott won and is the newly elected District 3 uh, council member. Um, you know, one of the things we really love about Jamaica is her authenticity and honesty, which, to be quite frank, is so very hard to find in politicians and elected officials. Um, and we know through her committed community organizing background that she will fight for workers in Tacoma, in unions, but broadly, workers broadly. Um, and Initiative One um, shows that um, we don't need to cowtail to the political establishment, but we can build a broad coalition here in the city of Tacoma with labor partners, community uh, partners, faith, um, and really struggle for victory. And, you know, to get at the heart of your question, Ty, about um, what this means for UFCW 367 and our political role in Tacoma going forward is that, you know, we're not going away here in the city of Tacoma. Uh, we are a serious political force here in the city of Tacoma and in all of our jurisdictions. We're here to help improve the grit city for not only first and foremost for members of 367, but for workers and the working class more broadly here in the city of Tacoma, because we know when we help out workers broadly, it will not only help them, but help our members out. Well, I've been active in the labor movement and the socialist movement for about 25 years in several different cities. And I'm not sure I can point to any other modern day parallel um, to the kind of relationship that we've built between DSA and UFCW 367 over the last 18 months. Maybe it's not uncommon for DSA chapters to develop good, friendly relationships with unions like uh, United Electrical Workers at the national level, but it's another thing to develop the kind of fighting partnership locally that is prepared to so sharply challenge the local political establishment. I've been really impressed with your rank and file activists in your union and with your whole leadership, most of whom you know, wouldn't identify as socialists. Um, not just for their enthusiasm for housing justice, but also their preparedness to politically align with DSA 
uh, in a very public fight with the mayor and city council and, you know, of course, the landlord lobby. Where do you think this kind of fighting political spirit um, in Local 367 comes from? Um, yeah, so definitely want to give a big shout out to all the rank and file activists within my union and the staff organizers that worked so hard um, to push forward our political priorities. Um, this wouldn't have been possible without their collective support and all of us pitching in to make this a reality. You know, the political uh, fighting spirit, I think, um, comes from, one, um, our leadership, which we have at our local, um, which has taken a deep dive into the uh, workings of Jane McAlevey and the concept of whole worker organizing. Um, and we've taken that very deeply and understanding that we have to struggle to improve our conditions at work on the shop floor, but not only there, um, what's happening at our houses and in our lives as workers, because we can't just focus solely on um, what's going on in the workplace. And I think focusing um, and learning from uh, whole worker organizing in McAlevey, it's been a deep um, thought-provoking politicization for uh, for a lot of the leadership and rank and file within the union. And uh, to be honest as well, uh, where this political spirit, fighting spirit has came from is, you know, the failures to pass hazard pay, all the dirty games that our employers play um, past um, political fights that were not as um, solid as this one, such as the minimum wage, which did not have the right outcome that happened here. Um, the dirty tactics that the landlord lobby took up, all of that was um, very politicizing for the members uh, and staff organizers um, at the local, you know, knowing that um, when we struggle together uh, and we fight, we'll, we can do so much, even if it's against large money interests. Um, and, you know, uh, for sure, our political fighting spirit at Local 367, we definitely wanted to be known that we aren't beholden to any one political party, but to causes and candidates uh, that are willing to fight for 367 members and the multiracial working class broadly here in the city of Tacoma and throughout our, all of our jurisdictions. Uh, we view electoral politics as a piece of a broader strategy to build worker power here in, um, in the South Sound region. Um, so beautifully said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that just, yeah, the South Sound is rising here and um, we're here to support uh, our members in the working class broadly. And if that means bucking the political establishment and building a coalition, then that's exactly what we're here and prepared to do. Hell yeah, Michael. Um, well, let's bring this discussion back to what concretely we've won here in Tacoma. Um, the Tenant Bill of Rights offers Tacoma renters the strongest protections in Washington State. Our approach to writing Initiative 1 was to take the most important tenant protections already passed in cities across our region, but to remove the loopholes and the watered-down elements to make them more robust. So, for example, we took Seattle's tenant relocation assistance, which is means-tested and triggers uh, is triggered only at 10% rent hikes, and we made it stronger. We lowered the threshold so that when landlords raise rents by 5%, forcing tenants to move out, the landlords have to pay tenants two months rent relocation assistance. And we got rid of um, 
the, the means testing, we made it a universal benefit and removed the bureaucratic barriers to accessing it that unfortunately Seattle City Council put in. So that's just one example. But Anne, can you summarize the other key protections um, that we just won in Initiative 1? Yeah, absolutely. So as you've already touched on, the two most controversial pieces of the initiative are the relocation assistance, which is triggered if landlords raise rent over 5% in a six-month period. And then the other um, controversial piece of the initiative is a ban on cold weather evictions and evictions of uh, students during the school year and certain other protected individuals under the initiative. Um, Beyond that, we also have a cap on certain fees. So um, there's a limit to what landlords can charge. Um, When folks are moving in, there is a limit to late fees. It's now a $10 cap. Um, And then the eviction, um, or rather the initiative provides for um, additional penalties, which I think is really important uh, because this will incentivize, I think, you know, local attorneys. It'll empower our pro bono attorneys to enforce this initiative and go after uh, landlords who choose to violate it. So that is also a really key piece of the protections that are included in this initiative and, um, you know, overall contribute to a really robust whole new world for tenants in Tacoma. Well, I want to zero in on how these protections, you know, will help. What do they really mean for working class families, low income families? There were well over 2,000 homeless or housing unstable students in the Tacoma public schools at any given time. And Anne, during the course of this campaign, you know, alongside the tremendous leadership you provided as our co-chair of our comms, you also told the story a number of times of you and your daughter dealing with life-changing eviction, uh, something that would have been barred during the school year under Initiative 1. Can you share that story with with our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. That moment was one of the things that made me passionate about housing justice, radicalized me, and eventually led to me being here, you know, a member of DSA and also working on this campaign. But um, in 2018, I, myself and my roommate were served an eviction notice. Um, At the time, we were living right next door to Tacoma in a city adjacent. Um, And we had 20 days to get out of the house and to find new housing. And that was the law at the time. And uh, as you can probably imagine, that's a nightmare of a scenario. The school year was just beginning. And uh, my life was just thrown into just horrific upheaval. We didn't know where we would go. 20 days is not long enough to find a new place. I didn't have the money. My landlord withheld my deposit, which is what a lot of tenants, myself included, count on to get into a new apartment. So it was um, just a really, really horrible time. Under Initiative 1, none of that would have happened to me at all. Um, Number one, my daughter's status as a student would have protected us against a school year eviction. And I, I think that, you know, what we're going to see and what would have happened to me at the time is landlords probably will negotiate a little bit, but tenants are in the driver's seat and they're protected, right? So if your landlord comes to you and, you know, they they can't evict you during the school year, but, you know, there's cash for keys, there's all kinds of arrangements they could offer. Under Initiative 1, you get to choose whether whether to accept any of that. Um, So my daughter's status as a student would have have protected us against eviction. Um, And then also 20 days notice is, you know, it's that's less than three weeks. 
it's not enough time to figure anything out when it comes to something as huge as housing. Um, under Initiative 1, landlords will be required to give six months notice, which is a lot more time for people to plan their lives, save up money, and make the arrangements they need to. Uh, I watched my daughter's grades just go downhill over that period that we were unstably housed and couch surfing and as a result of being evicted. And uh, it was a horrible experience. It took us a long time to come back from that and to, you know, for her grades to get better, for us to feel safe and secure again. I don't want that for anybody. And I'm very proud that we have new protections here in Tacoma. Absolutely. And I think stories like yours and, and so many more, I think were a crucial element of, you know, making this real for people, especially, you know, homeowners who maybe haven't had that experience or at least for a long time. One of the most inspiring moments of this campaign was back in September when in the midst of our all-out canvassing drive, we learned that one of our supporters, Kathy Pick and her family, were facing imminent eviction. Um, And then we learned that Kathy's massive apartment complex, Lakeside Landing, was owned by a couple San Francisco billionaire private equity investors whose entire business model was to buy up low-income housing in quote-unquote emerging markets, push poor people out, do a few cheap upgrades, and then bring in higher uh, income renters. And you led up the successful fight to stop Kathy's eviction. Can you share um, that experience with our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Well, this uh, I think it's also important to note, Kathy has been a leader in the housing justice movement here in Tacoma. She's served as lead advocate for the Tacoma Tenants Union, formerly Tacoma Tenants Organizing Committee, And um, that's part of, that's how I know Kathy is through those connections. So there was a real feeling from an organizing perspective of like one of our own, you know, facing eviction. And the situation felt really unfair. Um, Kathy and her spouse had a court ordered repayment plan and they missed a single payment of it. And, uh, you know, that triggered the filing of a, a writ of restitution, which means the sheriff comes to your door and throws you out. And so Kathy and her family were staring down a period of, you know, days to weeks at most where they would remain housed until they'd literally be escorted out the door and have their belongings chucked out behind them. And they had nowhere to turn. No, you know, there was no, you know, they were facing really, really significant hurdles to staying housed. They also found out there are no family shelters in Tacoma with uh, availability to take all of them. So the family was going to be split up. They're going to have to surrender their cats to the Humane Society. Like their whole lives were going to be upended by this. Um, Tacoma for All put together a successful GoFundMe. We raised, I believe it was over $13,000. That was enough to pay off the, the outstanding fees that the Pick family owed. Um, we also organized a rally, which drew up significant crowds and you know some press coverage as well, and I think created a great deal of public pressure. And then we got a pro bono attorney, Beverly Allen, who stepped in and represented the Pick family and was able, I think, through a combination of that public pressure, um, the funds that we raised, um, uh, and then in court, was able to negotiate a settlement and it left the Pick family stably housed. So that was a huge success. Um, from an organizing perspective, it really highlighted a lot of the reasons that we need the protections of Initiative One. And I think it gave a face and a voice to our, our fight in some really critical ways and it helped show people this is this is who we're protecting. Kathy is an educator. She's a substitute public school teacher. Um, she has a son who is a student and they would be protected under the initiative. And I think um, that entire fight as a whole just really highlighted 
how the initiative will work and made that really personal for people. Thank you. Yeah, it was it was a really inspiring ad. And I think, you know, we, we had to skip some shifts of canvassing to make sure we had turnout for the rally, et cetera. But at the rally itself, I can't remember how many, but it was dozens of people signed up. I think it really inspired and gave our whole campaign a real kick in the final weeks uh, to put us over the top. So I think it was absolutely correct, even though it wasn't in a narrow sense, a directly electoral tactic, you know, as you said, from the point of view of changing the narrative and of inspiring our base to understand what's possible and what this fight's all about. It was, it was powerful. Well, turning to you, Zev, um, in episode five of Socialist Sound recorded, you know, in late August, we spent a lot of time on the experience of the campaign itself up to that point. We talked about the huge signature gathering campaign that you led up to get on the ballot. Uh, we talked about how the mayor and city council attempted to co-opt our movement and pressure us into a rotten compromise. We talked about how um, after we didn't accept their watered down tenant protections, the city council voted to put a competing ballot initiative up against us and how we sued them to successfully force their illegal and deceptive ballot alternative off the November ballot. So can you bring us up to speed on what the campaign has looked like uh, in the you know last two months since we talked before and um, what it took to put us over the top and win this narrow victory? Yeah, so let me just, you know, start with uh, the numbers so people can know that. So since, you know, we started our signature gathering efforts back in March, we collected 7,200 signatures to qualify the initiative for the ballot. Uh, in the full life of the campaign, we knocked over 20,000 doors in the city. We made nearly 22,000 phone calls and sent 141,000 text messages. In terms of you know money we raised, we raised a total of a hundred and twenty thousand dollars, just about, uh, with over four hundred and seventy individual donors, eighty-five percent of whom were from you know right here in Tacoma and Pierce County. And I think one thing I want to call out there is that uh, we did receive a twenty thousand dollar grant from our you know national DSA, the uh, National Electoral Committee, which especially on such a thin you know margin of victory was truly a linchpin of this victory and we're deeply thankful for that but you know overall i think what we saw is that when we were faced with historic money from the landlord lobby meant to buy off our election you know we brought what the they didn't have because they can you know buy as many mailers way more mailers than us they can buy way more ads than us but you know what they can't buy is you know real grassroots power and engagement from the committee and that from the community. And that's what we really brought with this campaign, knocking those 20,000 doors. We had conversations with people at their doors all across Tacoma. And that's always going to be more powerful than, you know, a piece of paper of talking, having those one-on-one -on -one conversations. The landlord lobby, they sent out, uh, you know, I think it was five mailers, you know, three rounds of text messages, lots of ads, but it was just this intense disinformation campaign saying things like, we're going to talk, cost taxpayers tons of money, saying this was actually going to take Tacoma backwards and repeal existing tenant protections. They said, you know, this was going to um, allow criminals and, you know, deviants to be your neighbors and they can't be evicted. So, you know, against all these lies, you know, talk about, you know, how the conversations at the doors went, you know, how much of an impact did this have? And, you know, how did our canvassing help overcome some of this? Yeah, I think 
you know, one part of this victory was, of course, the, you know, material existing conditions in the community. And the fact is that we've seen 43% rent increases in just the past five years. And, you know, Pierce County has the single highest eviction rate in the state. So, you know, that's not just a statistic. You know, people are feeling that in the community and they were ready for us to, you know, bring a change. That's which what, you know, Initiative One, the Tenant Bill of Rights represented to a lot of people. So, you know, I talked to a lot of people from, you know, different backgrounds in Tacoma, from, you know, renters in the South Side to, you know, homeowners and even, you know, small landlords in the North End area of the city. Uh, and we did have very strong support amongst people who rent, you know, not surprising. Um, as we move up, I think the, you know, people who are homeowners were more affected uh, from by these uh, mailers and lies that were put out from the landlord lobby. But, you know, 90% of the time that can be solved with a conversation at the door. Because the fact is that what the landlords were putting out you know, saying this is going to increase taxes, telling them it's going to, you know, protect bad tenants. It's not based in facts. It's their lies. And that's very, you know, easy to point out to folks when you, we actually get the chance to talk to them. Of course, you know, there are going to be people at the you know, higher end of the income spectrum who have you know, a class interest in continuing to propagate and support these lies. And we definitely saw that happening. You know, we saw it at the debate that went down between, you know, us where we had, uh, you know, Devin and Ann here representing us against you know, Sean Flynn from the landlord lobby. And we saw in the room how, you know, they have all these lies, but when they're confronted, you know, one on one, their arguments fall apart. Not all they really have at the end of the day is this is going to hurt our bottom line. Yeah. No, that, that debate was a real highlight. It was really the only time in the there was me, you know, warring messages in the media and opinion pieces in the Tacoma News Tribune. But that was the only time we really got to sit down. There was about a hundred people in the room, half of them landlords, half of them are supporters. It's a real tense environment. Some uh, sharp exchanges happen in the hallways, et cetera. And I thought Devin and Ann did an excellent job really of just beating down the misinformation. Absolutely. It was a real inspiring Absolutely. moment. Um, and just to go to your point about just the class divide in the city, when we looked at the precinct maps of how this vote has gone down, you know, in heavy renter areas, in areas with high density communities of color, low income, we had over 80% in some precincts. And of course, all the area, all the waterfront properties, all the precincts with good views, you know, uh, we lost pretty badly. So, you know, it is a divided city. Um, but, you know, amongst working class people, amongst communities of color, amongst renters, we won this fight decisively. Absolutely. Well, Tacoma DSA's active membership grew a lot out of this campaign. And I don't think that was automatic. A lot of times when socialists get involved in mass campaign work, there's a pressure from coalition partners uh, to have a low profile for socialist politics or to avoid active attempts to recruit to DSA. Um, but you've been one of Tacoma DSA's most energetic recruiters over the course of this campaign um, and were never shy about your socialist politics. So in what ways uh, was Tacoma DSA strengthened out of this fight? Yeah, so I, I joined the chapter uh, back in 2021 and was elected to the steering committee with all of you uh, in 2022. 
you know, since then, we, we started our campaign back in March here, really getting going with the signature gathering clip uh, efforts. And, you know, in that time, we had a lot of people come out and volunteer. And a lot of them were already DSA members or they were, you know, members of other uh, groups here in Tacoma. But a lot of them were just, you know, normal working class folks from the Tacoma community who saw what we were doing and wanted to get involved. Uh, I would always have you know, conversations with these folks. Uh, I was working seven days a week for a lot of this campaign and uh, led up a lot of the, you know, out in the field work, knocking doors with them, teaching them how to have those conversations with their neighbors. And, you know, at the end of the, when we completed shifts, I would have a conversation with them where I brought up like, hey, you know, it is, you know, the Tacoma Democratic Socialists of America that have been driving this campaign forward. Here's a bit about our vision for building, you know, a working class movement to not just win this, you know, one reform, but to, you know, build the movement to win, you know, true democracy and true, uh, you know, people over profit society here in Tacoma, win socialism. And a lot of people were receptive to that. Actually, almost all of the folks that we had came out, come, from, come out from the community uh, I'd say almost all of them have joined DSA at this point because we've put forward an exciting vision for what is possible for you know the working class movement here in Tacoma. Uh, you know, I think we've added around 60 members in the past year, doubled our active membership at meetings, expanded our presence in the local union movement. And in a lot of ways, uh, the DSA, Tacoma DSA is a totally different organization than it was a year ago. We are the big kids on the playground when it comes to, you know, fighting for a working class movement in Tacoma. And I think part of that is our own membership, but part of that's also the role that we've played in bringing together such a powerful coalition of community and labor organizations here in Tacoma, which I think Michael did a fantastic job of highlighting. Well, just... To finish us out, you know, at our election night party, you gave the final speech of the evening, highlighting the need for socialist policies to challenge capitalism uh, if we want real housing justice. And on Wednesday, we're, all of us in Tacoma DSA are hosting a big public teaching on how we end capitalism's housing crisis. And we're hoping to inspire even more campaign volunteers and community folks that have watched us play the role and win this victory to join DSA. So how do you think Tacoma DSA should frame this victory for tenant rights within the wider struggle for socialism? I mean, this is a victory for DSA and it's a victory for working class Tacoma. I think, you know, a lot of times on the left, we have, you know, plenty of small, you know, reading groups. And I think reading groups are great, but we build movements by doing mass politics in the community. And that's exactly what we did with Tacoma for All. We you know, brought together a coalition of you know, faith organizations, labor organizations. We brought people into a movement space where we can make real and decisive change happen. And I think that has been an inspiring vision for folks. And I think that's why we've had so many people join already in this past year. I think it's going to drive more people to join in the future because, of course, you know, we're not stopping here with this Tenant Bill of Rights. We're pushing for more in the future, and we want to bring the Tacoma community, the working class community, along with us. Well, thank you, Zev, and thank you, Anne, Devin, and Michael for a wonderful conversation. 
Again, folks should listen to episode five, which was sort of the part one of this uh, discussion and um, more things to come. Thanks for being here. That was Devin Rydell-Kelly, Coalition Coordinator with Tacoma for All and member of Tacoma DSA Steering Committee, Michael Whalen, Vice President of UFCW 367, and an Executive Board member of the Pierce County Central Labor Council, as well as a DSA member, Ann Dorn, Co-Chair of Tacoma DSA and the Communications Co-Director of Tacoma for All, and Zev Cook, Field Manager for Tacoma for All and a member of DSA's Steering Committee. Now we turn to the two big ballot initiative victories up in Bellingham, one to raise the minimum wage and the other to provide tenant relocation assistance when landlords raise the rent excessively, a very similar policy to what we just passed here in Tacoma. Whatcom DSA played a central role in both of these campaigns, working within a wider coalition. My guest today is Cleveland Harris, former co-chair of Whatcom DSA and current chair of Community First Whatcom. Why don't you start by introducing yourself a little more to our listeners? What's been your history with Whatcom DSA and what brought you to help lead these initiative campaigns? Yeah. Uh, hello there, Ty. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, I joined Whatcom DSA in uh, spring, summer uh, time of 2020. I think I had heard nationally about DSA projects of Bernie Sanders before that. What really brought me into the local chapter was seeing kind of the organizing being done by other regional DSA chapters down in Portland and Seattle in regards to the George Floyd and Black Lives Matter movement. So that's what really got me into joining my local chapter and uh, just had some great folks reach out to me and onboard me and kind of like steer me into like some of those uh, interests of mine. From there, I kind of worked on our defund Bellingham Police Department campaign. That was my first campaign with the chapter. It allowed me to meet a lot of comrades over the years, kind of work together and kind of built the relationships that um, ended up having these uh, initiatives come out of our chapter. Awesome. Well, walk us through the two policies that Bellingham voters just passed. How did you all message the problems that you know you were trying to address with these two initiatives? And what exactly will each do now that they've been passed? Yeah, um, definitely. Growing up in Seattle and uh, going to college in Bellingham um, and just kind of going, living up I-5 in my quote, quote, adult life, definitely been like renting away um, from like higher rent as I could. And in Bellingham, that was an issue um, here as well. Bellingham has some really high uh, rents and not a lot of vacancies. So um, when folks are moving, that's a really uh, tough burden. And that, another reason that's a burden is because of the minimum wage not being close to like what would be a fair or um, like a housing or a living w wage. So kind of coming at it from those two um, directions, we wanted to kind of address the problem that folks aren't making enough. They're not um, getting the value of their labor. Um, we've seen wages stagnate um, for way too long and um, just not seeing a lot of movement locally in regards to like providing any protections for renters during like these uh, housing crisis. So I guess um, to go more into the detail of what these initiatives do, um, our minimum wage initiative raises their local city of Bellingham minimum wage a dollar for each for the next two calendar years and then it'll stay pegged two dollars above the state minimum wage which is adjusted for inflation 
um, yearly. And our second um, one, which is like, yes, like you said, similar to what folks down in Tacoma had in their package is a rent to relocation assistance. Our threshold would be if the rent is raised above 8% in a 12 month period, a renter would be eligible for rent to relocation assistance, which would be funds that would help land that person in housing. And that would be uh, paid for by the landlord. Right, right. And um, just tell us a little bit, I, both of them passed pretty strongly, but you want to give those numbers? Yeah, uh, at the top of my head, I believe the uh, the um, the rentering, uh, renter initiative uh, passed with 60% approval and the minimum wage one with 58% approval, which is really outstanding. The renter relocation assistance one is similar to an initiative we ran in 2000. 2021, 2021, and that initiative failed by 300 and like 13 votes, I believe. So it was very close. So it's interesting to see that change um, over two years organizing around this issue. You guys lost that rental relocation assistance by almost the exact same margin that we won the tenant bill of rights here in Tacoma. So <laughs> I can imagine how painful it would be that the narrow victory was was sweet, but a little bit scary to be that close. For sure. That leads into the next question I wanted to ask you is that these two initiatives were not the first that Whatcom DSA and Community First Whatcom have run. A couple of years ago, if I understand right, you ran four initiatives and I think won two of them. And you just mentioned the relocation assistance you lost, unfortunately. But stepping back, tell me a little bit more about this history and the broader strategic vision you all have for coming out of these fights. Do these campaigns fit into a wider project of building a mass socialist movement and working class power in Whatcom? Um, yeah, I believe so. I think that's what part of our intended goal is by running these initiatives and having these sort of campaigns. Before I joined uh, Whatcom DSA, one of the projects that the chapter worked on was um, running Hanan Suarez for city council here. And um, a lot of resources went into that as the, the chapter, us being a decently small chapter and like looking at whether that was, um, where we wanted to go through like pushing candidates on something local. And so I think that history helped going with the initiatives. During the defund Bellingham Police Department campaign, we weren't able to achieve the goals we wanted to out of that, but a lot of that came into a lot of folks looking into local budgets looking at to like what things could be changed locally outside of waiting for um, sitting politicians to change those things. And that's how we kind of came up with some of the initiatives that we ran the first time. One being that rent relocation assistance one, um, which didn't pass. The second one was a ban on predictive policing and facial recognition technology. That was a way that we saw that we could take a tool that has been shown to be like um, racially biased or ineffective or just um, people who have concerns about privacy, um, taking that tool away before they can be used. And uh, we also did one on like a labor neutrality where no city funds could be spent on any anti-union organizing. So um, that was one. And then we also ran an initiative um, for secure scheduling, kind of seeing some of the work that had been done in Seattle and our lived experience and trying to address some of those things of um, being called in on your days off and not knowing how many hours you're going to be able to work and stuff like that. So just trying to address um, various issues there. And that one, that was one of your victories in 2021, right? 
the one of the two victories were the ban on the predictive policing technology and the not using any city funds on any anti-union activities. Unfortunately, the uh, secure scheduling one uh, didn't pass, nor did the uh, rent to relocation assistance. And I think it had been like 10 plus years since, or before, how do you say this? It had been 10 years um, since anyone had done any citizen-led initiatives. So it was kind of like one of those things where we didn't know what we were getting into. So we kind of had these four initiatives and it's a lot of work to gather signatures for uh, four different things and four different conversations um, about four different topics. But uh, we, we did it because we felt that, you know, um, talking, getting to have these conversations with renters and talking about their relationship with their bosses and like how that dynamic could be changed. Talking about like tools that were being used that we don't think should be used in our community was allowing us to have these conversations with folks about like a broader kind of span of issues. Right. And I think that kind of leads into like kind of our, hopefully our building our capacity going forward by just uh, finding ways to talk to people about things that are like relatable to their lives and then showing them or showing us that we can do it together and change these things locally. Awesome. Well, just to quickly follow up Cleveland, um, it seems like you guys have really built a legacy or beginning to build a legacy in Bellingham of running these, you know, progressive uh, pro worker ballot initiative campaigns and, and winning. Um, how has that connected with sort of building the chapter, building leadership capacity um, for DSA? Let's see here. So, yeah, it's helped in us building relationships with other organizations um, in town that are doing some of the work already in the community and that we can help like support or we can help navigate together and kind of build that solidarity between groups and try to like maximize that there. So I think that for myself personally, signature gathering was like one of the hardest things for me to do at first. I'm kind of like a naturally introverted person talking to strangers is difficult. So I, I got a lot of skills like um, being able to like talk to people, better listening skills, hearing folks um, that way. I think we've um, we've been able to build or bring people into the chapter by just having those conversations with folks about things. And then folks just asking us like, how did you guys, uh, who's doing this? What are you doing about? And then we get to talk to them about the chapter or something like that and invite them to a meeting or something like that. Other awesome. ways I think it's helped. I think we've, we've gotten some capacity of just like knowing our local kind of legislative system, which is, can be kind of daunting at first, like figuring out what can we can do within like the city charter and figuring out like how those things maybe can be changed is something that I don't think we had um, beforehand that we're getting better at. And um, were you able, I know this is a real challenge sometimes when doing big campaigns and a lot of DSA chapters in the last couple of years have been shrinking, not growing but also sometimes campaigns like this can really inspire people to join the chapter. Has your active membership, like attendance at meetings, gone up during these campaigns or has that been a struggle for y'all? I think sometimes the campaign can be a, like a, a double-edged sword for the chapter. It can kind of like suck a lot of energy away from other things um, that can like a lot of folks um, want to do within the chapter that aren't necessarily focused towards electoral politics and that like maybe a lot of engaged members um, navigating to certain products can kind of leave some vacuums in other places in the chapter. Totally. No, it's a struggle. And I know, um, yeah, a lot of aspects of Tacoma DSA during our campaign were neglected, political education work, things like that. It can be a struggle. 
Well, a last question I had is, you know, for socialists, the question of how to work in coalition with other political forces is often among the most complicated and sometimes contentious issues that we face in our organizing work. On the one hand, the bigger and more powerful the coalition, the more acute opportunist pressures facing socialists can be, pressures to bury our politics and our class independence in order to maintain friendly relations with liberal leaders or union officials who don't agree with our politics. And then on the other hand, you know, I think what happens on the left a lot to avoid these pressures is left activists often make the mistake of acting in a sectarian way or trying to just go it alone without recognizing that winning the wider working class to our movements necessarily means working with organizations and leaders with whom we may have significant disagreements. So with all that in mind, tell me about how Community First Whatcom evolved and how DSA has grappled with these political questions more generally in your campaigns. Yeah. As People First Bellingham, when we did our first run of initiatives, um, we were kind of like a coalition of folks that came about about this, but we didn't like have necessarily like a structure on like how a lot of things would happen, um, decision-making processes, um, relations between like the coalition and chapters and how that feedback would be done. After that first iteration, we had a lot of reflection to do with how we were gonna like maintain interpersonal dynamics within the coalition and how to better do those things as well as um, how we were gonna keep that communication like open with the chapter and other coalition um, members. Definitely will say that we've struggled at times, but I think we've tried to build a structure um, accountability by like having um, like uh, an elected representative on our steering committee who's there. We meet with the DSA, our walking DSA steering committee. Um, we do a report back to the chapter um, during general meetings and just try to keep it an open space for collaboration um, to have that happen. Um, the political decisions can be tough and like, you know, some folks have walked away or had very strong opinions about things. And I think that's like a, a very tough thing to grapple with. Cause like, like say, like seeing an initiative win by so much, you know, that there's so much support for like maybe raising the minimum wage. Um, could we have gone, could we have been, could we have gone higher or dreamed more? Perhaps we could have um, in that way. So I think maybe like reflecting and doing some good debriefs is a way um, to keep those relationships good. Being willing to change and listen um, has been good. And uh, not being like shy about like who we are, or why we're organizing, I think is important as well. I think just having like main, keep making sure that like our conversations are honest um, with folks about what we think we can do and um, why we're doing it, I think helps us keep the, uh, the principles there. Those kind of debates are very familiar with us here in Tacoma DSA as well. You know, we had a big discussion of whether we should have a carve out for small landlords who live on the property for the tenant relocation assistance, which we ended up doing. But there was a bit of a debate around that. And if we'd won by a landslide, probably I would have concluded, yep, we didn't need to do that. That wasn't necessary. But given that we won so narrowly here by 361 votes, I think that was crucial. We were able to allay some concerns that even working class people had, you know, sympathy with kind of small landlords, mom and pop shops, etc. That is an issue in consciousness. And I think sometimes there's a temptation for socialists to 
just fight for, you know, say, let's just put everything in there that we want without a real gauge of where consciousness is at and how to advance things. Because obviously we want more than we can put in initiative or we, that we fight for in any reform demands. But actually winning can have a huge impact in raising working class confidence and self-organization and putting us on a stronger footing to win bigger victories in the future. It's a, it's a challenge and, and I think a legitimate debate um, within the socialist movement of how exactly we do this. Yeah, for sure. And it's definitely like those wins are, uh, you know, very important. Like we were inspired by Maine DSA with their People Force Portland Initiative Project. And like uh, seeing the work y'all were doing in Tacoma was inspiring through us during that process as well. Seeing things like Raise the Wage, Renton and other kind of projects in the Pacific Northwest going on have all been inspiring to see as well. Well, Cleveland, I really want to thank you for all the work you guys have done. It's inspiring to see what you all have accomplished as well. And, you know, I think there's growing discussion, certainly in Tacoma and Seattle, uh, DSA chapters about more coordination between our chapters and our campaigns in the future. The question of social housing, you know, it's just been won in Seattle and now they're going for a big campaign to fully fund it by taxing millionaires. Um, we're talking in Tacoma about running a social housing campaign and would love to be in further dialogue with you and your chapter about, you know, coordinating on a state level around these things. So to be continued. Yes, indeed. Super excited about that. And uh, yeah, see you then. All right. Take care. Take care. That was Cleveland Harris, chair of Community First Whatcom. If you like this podcast and want it to continue, please become a monthly sustainer of Seattle DSA. Go to seattledsa.org backslash podcast today to contribute what you can. Again, that is seattledsa.org backslash podcast. Social Sound is a production of Seattle DSA. Thanks so much to Jason Corey for volunteering the long hours needed to mix and edit this episode. I'm your host, Ty Moore. Thanks for listening.